This is The Big Question, where we do our best to answer questions from young disciples at Grace Presbyterian Church and to be at peace with the mysteries that we can't explain. I'm Pastor Mark, your host, and in this episode we have questions from Stephen, Israel, Caleb F., Micah, and Sam VR. First, we'll tackle a few serious questions, then we'll look at this episode's big question, and we'll wrap things up at the end with a few fun questions. Let's start with our serious questions. Our first question comes from Stephen, who asks, Why did they drop the bed with the sick man through the roof? Well, Stephen, the event you're describing happened in the city of Capernaum, and Luke's gospel tells us the story in Luke chapter 5. The man wasn't just sick, he was paralyzed, so he couldn't move himself, and he had to be carried in a kind of stretcher by his friends. The problem was the house where Jesus was teaching was packed. It was standing room only, and they couldn't squeeze in. Remember, they needed room for a stretcher and a man uh, on it and the men who were carrying it. So that's a lot of room. Now, most people would have been discouraged, but in the Bible, people of faith demonstrate their belief by overcoming obstacles. The blind men on the road to Jerusalem were told to be quiet, for example, but instead they shouted all the louder. This man and his friends could have just gone home, but instead they came up with a plan. If they couldn't get through the crowd, why not get over it? So they hauled their friend up onto the roof and then made an opening so they could lower him from below. They didn't just drop the bed through the roof. They lowered the man on the bed through the roof. And this way they could leapfrog the crowds and get their friend right in front of Jesus. And sure enough, Jesus saw the faith of these friends, and he healed that man. And now Israel wants to know, why did Peter lie to the people that he wasn't a follower of Jesus three times? Well, Israel, at the end of Matthew 26, during the trial of Jesus, Peter is lurking outside with the servants and the guards. Now, back in the garden, he was so bombastic that when the soldiers came for Jesus, he'd drawn his sword and cut off the ear of a servant named Malchus. Now, Jesus healed that man and told Peter to put his sword away. Now, though, during the trial, Peter's bluster is gone. When one of the servants recognizes him as a follower of Jesus, he denies it. And this happens three times, which is exactly what Jesus had prophesied would happen before. When Peter realizes what he's done, he weeps bitter tears of regret. Why did Peter lie? Well, the simple answer is fear. He was afraid that if he acknowledged that he was a follower of Jesus, then the soldiers would arrest and punish him too. Anytime that you feel a similar fear, when you worry that people won't like you or will reject you if you admit that you believe in Jesus, you should remember Peter's weakness and remember that Jesus forgave him too. But let's be brave and pray that God will give us the strength to acknowledge Jesus before men, even when we're afraid. Now it's time for the big question. Our big question this week comes from Caleb F. Let's give Caleb a round of applause. 
Here's Caleb's question. Can man write anything perfect, even if it's based on the Bible? Caleb, this question reminds me of a conversation that I had recently. Someone outside the church, knowing that I was a pastor, was asking me questions about what I thought about current events. Just in passing, he said, I realize that as a clergyman, you believe that people are basically good. I had to laugh. I told him that no, I wasn't that kind of clergyman. Based on what the Bible teaches, I believe just the opposite, that every human being is corrupted by sin, that every part of us is affected, that we are not innocent, not basically good, but are predisposed towards sin. Many people have the same misunderstanding that this man that I was talking to had. They think Christianity is all about being good and about seeing the good in people. I understand the Bible does counsel and encourage us in obedience, and Scripture does teach us to deal graciously with others, not to assume the worst, to treat others kindly as we would want to be treated. But at the same time, the Bible is very honest about the flaw in every human person. There's no sentimental, warm and fuzzy innocence to the Bible's idea of our nature. Instead, it confronts human sin head on. We don't obey and treat others well because we are basically good. Any good that we do is a credit to God working in us, because without him, we would sin even more than we do. The reason I bring all this up, Caleb, is because you asked about whether a human being can write anything that's perfect. The Bible uses the term perfect to mean something like whole or complete. That wholeness would necessarily exclude sin. The presence of sin means imperfection by definition. So, to write something perfect, the man in your question would need to write something without sin. But the only man without sin was Jesus Christ. So I think you can guess where this is headed. Now, what if the man is writing something based on the Bible, though? The Bible is perfect. So maybe if you're writing something based on the Bible, then that might be perfect, too. The thing is, no matter what it's based on, if it's being written by an imperfect man, then the writing will be imperfect. Take a sermon, for example. When I preach a sermon, it's based on the Bible. And with a lot of prayer and study, I will do everything I can to make sure that everything I say in the sermon is right. You'll all be praying for me too, and God's Spirit will be guiding me. And, and yet, even so, I've never preached a perfect sermon. In fact, I don't think I've even come close. No sinner left to his own devices can produce work that isn't tainted by sin. Everything we do is stamped by imperfection. But as you think about that, there is a question that should come to mind. What about the Bible itself? Let's take one of the letters, for example, say 2 Corinthians. Paul wrote that, and Paul was a sinner. In fact, he considered himself chief of sinners. So, based on what I've said, that must mean that 2 Corinthians is a very imperfect book. How can we say it's perfect, then? 
how can we say it's the word of God? Well, there's only one way, because the Spirit worked in Paul to inspire the book. God breathed the words through the means of human authors, and the result is his perfect word. It's not just based on the Bible. It is the Bible. And though it was written by sinful men, the Spirit working in and through them produced perfection. And that is the only way for the perfection you're talking about to happen. Apart from God, it's impossible. But when God works, all things are possible. Before we close, let's look at a few fun questions. First, Micah J. wants to know, why did you want to be a pastor? Micah, God awakened that desire in me. I didn't feel it until he did. It was never my plan to grow up and be a pastor, and I sometimes joke that if I'd known what God had in mind, I would have made different choices. But of course, when God leads you, everything changes. The Spirit called me to serve in this way, and that calling was confirmed by the church. There are so many things I love about being a pastor, including answering these questions. It was never my ambition, though, and to be honest, I don't think it ever should be anyone's ambition. There's no place for human ambition, for ego, for that sort of thing in pastoral ministry. Instead, it should only and always be a calling from God. And finally, Sam VR wants to know, what does the hospitality person do? Well, Sam, every week, a lot of people work very hard to make our worship services possible, including what you've called the hospitality person, whose name you'll find each week in the order of worship in our list of volunteers. Now, the role of this person is to prepare what we'll need in order to welcome others as they arrive at the church. The hospitality person will be brewing coffee, uh, pouring water, putting juice out, setting up cups, setting up and arranging the welcome area to receive guests, that kind of thing. Everyone who serves makes a valuable contribution to each and every service. And since we don't always see the work as it's happening, it's always a good idea to check the list in the front of the order of worship each week. And that way you'll always know who to pray for and who to thank. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to The Big Question. Remember, if we're going to find the answers, then we have to ask the questions. Never be afraid to ask and never be satisfied with easy answers. The truth will stand up to scrutiny. Until next time, keep asking The Big Questions.